So we're just going to talk about a little bit of what we've been doing here while you guys have been in Sunday school. Uh, we've been on the real life series, the R and the E and the A-L, the R, E, A, and L. They all stand for something. And the phrase I've been using is let's act it out. If it's up there, it's going to come. There it is, let's act it out. Because our vision statement is this, to see lives transformed by Jesus in the Okanagan Valley. This is really what we're trying to pound home these four weeks. We want to see lives transformed by Jesus. And as we look through the previous weeks, we see this correlation. As I mentioned, throughout these four weeks, a huge theme we see in the gospel is that we receive from Christ, and we pour that out onto others, for others. And so we have the R... And we did the R, and it stands for redeemed, and we were redeemed by the gospel to share the gospel. The E, the empowered, is we have all of Christ, but does he have all of us? Christ sent his spirit to live in us, and it's there, but we need to activate it. We need to use it. And then the A, the act of life, as we talked about, we gather to scatter. scatter. So we come to this place we activate our gifts. We use them. God's given us all good gifts. He wants us to use them so we can go out and use those gifts to bring others to Christ. And so today we're going to do the listening life. And the listening life is this. is where we believe true life is found. It's that connection with God that often leaves us without words. Learning to hear his voice as we pray and connect with the living and actively involved God. Prayer is of ultimate importance in our church, and we make it a high priority in all that we do. It's huge for us to pray, and this is, I think, the perfect way to end the series, talking about prayer. So, I've got a video. Everyone like videos? Yeah, I like videos. All right, here we go. talk to people in many ways. You can pick up the telephone, send an email, write a letter, or even hire a light aircraft and fly a banner across the sky. But if you want to talk to God, you pray. People pray in many different ways. Eyes open, eyes closed, heads up, heads down, hands together, hands in the air, hands open. And some people have developed even more elaborate methods. Prayer can be about anything. It's about how you feel, the good stuff and the bad stuff. A bit like having a really honest conversation, but with God. But it's like having a conversation. So there's no need to use special words or go to a special place because you can pray anywhere. Like a sofa, the park, in the office, a church, a supermarket, in bed, the beach, on your own, in a group or on your own again or when you're otherwise engaged. And you can pray at any time. And like having a conversation, the better you get to know God, the better it becomes. And the best thing is, God talks back. Sometimes in ways we don't expect, sometimes with answers we don't always understand. But if you think he hasn't heard you, you'd be surprised by what he hears. You'd be surprised by what he knows. Stop that. What do you think you're doing? <laughs> All right. So, 
I'm going to call one, one kid. Well, this is a, I'm going to die. Tripping hazard. Gavin. Where's Gavin? Gavin, you want to come here? I'm going to talk to you for a little bit. So, Gavin, can you tell me what this is? A phone. A phone? So we grab this mic. Hello? Hello? I'm going to turn this off. Okay? What is this? A phone. A phone. Nailed it. You get some smarties. <laughs> All right, no, come back. We're not done here. Come back. So what can we do on a phone? What can we do on this? What do you do on the phone? I don't have a phone, so I do nothing. Oh, I see. Okay, so you said we can talk to people, right? So who can we talk to? Your uncle, basically anyone. If you Think of somebody big, like somebody famous. Who is somebody famous you'd like to talk to? Somebody like, man, I wish I could talk to them. I don't know. I don't know? What about, uh, what's a famous person? Are you a hockey fan? No, because I don't play hockey. Are you a soccer fan? No. Are you a football fan? I don't, I'm not a fan of sports. Do you have a favorite show? The Deep. The Deep. So what if you could talk to the guy, the kid on The Deep, what's his name? Uh, which one? The boy. Ant. Ant? Ant, yes. Should we call Ant? Yes, his name. Yeah, should, we, should we call him? Uh, you can't because he's on TV. But what if uh, we had his number? Still couldn't call him. My favorite person is Shaquille O'Neal. I'd like to call him. Do you want to call You can't because this is a microphone. <laughs> What is this? Yeah. Should we, should we call him? Uh, if he's not on a TV. Let's call Shaq. Okay. Do you have Shaq's number? No. Should we ask Suri? Suri's on the phone. She gives us, tells us everything. We should ask Suri. Suri, call Shaquille O'Neal. It doesn't say I have Shaquille, there's no number in my phone. Dang. <sighs> but you know what? You know what's cool about God? Is that we, we have his number. We can call and talk to him anytime. Here, I want you to take this. This phone is called the prayer phone. Okay, you hold this right now. All right, ready? So when I'm gone, you say, hey God. Wait, 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 I'm not gone. <laughs> All right, go ahead. Go ahead. Just finding his number. Is it ringing? It's ringing. <laughs> You gonna answer it? Answer it? Can you swipe over? Hello? 
Hey, Gavin, I heard you called me. This is God. How's it going? Good. How you been? You been good? Yeah? You been good? <laughs> All right, thanks. Thank you. Let's give a round of applause for Gavin. So having God is like having a phone, Gavin. So you don't need to ask your parents for a phone ever again. And sit with your parents. No. <laughs> okay. So, prayer is important. Prayer is super important. It's as easy as that. I know it would be cool if we had phones. We can talk to God. But it's as easy as just saying, hey, God. In Luke 11, 1, it says this. It says, one day Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, Teach us to pray, just as John taught, taught his disciples. Teach us to pray. Teach us to pray is the thing that they asked. It wasn't teach us to preach, teach us to heal, teach us to be just like you. It was to teach us to pray. Teach us to pray. Because they realized that this is the source of Christ's power. And then in Matthew 6, verses 5 to 7, it says this. And when you pray, Jesus is talking to his disciples, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. In Jesus' time, prayer had been reduced to this legalistic type action, a pride-filled event, look at me kind of an event. So Jesus went out of his way to tell us and tell his disciples, don't be a faker. Don't Act like you think you're the best. Because God is looking for this. He's looking for a genuine heart and a sincere heart. So in this verse, we see there is this reward. And we'll get to this reward in a bit. But it was common in this time for public prayer to be for religious Jews. There were times in the morning, the afternoon, and the evening when they prayed. Some would stop and pray discreetly. They would quietly pray but others not so discreetly. Jesus wasn't against public prayer. Jesus prayed himself publicly too. In Matthew 4.19, we see Jesus pray out loud and he fed the 5,000. What Jesus is after is those who do it for show. He, he doesn't want us to do it for show. This word hypocrites, in the Greek, it means this. An actor or a stage player. The more literal translation was an interpreter from underneath. That sounds weird. An interpreter from underneath. Like somebody underneath your chair interpreting. Like what's going on here? This is scary. But when we think about actors, and these actors this time, they would wear different masks and play different roles. Actors in ancient Greek theater wore large masks marked with the, which, which character they were playing. And as... They interpreted the story from underneath their masks. 
as they interpreted the story from underneath their mask. (laughs) These actors performed in front of the audience as and they would put on a show. So this word, hypocrite, this is what it looked like in that time. Like they had this mask on, like they were putting on a show. They were acting. And so like they were praying like this. Jesus, let me get the joker. No, as they were praying, as they were acting, putting on the show. They weren't, they weren't being themselves. They were being someone else. And so what Jesus wanted them, he wanted them to take off the mask. So these actors, these hypocrites, are looking for acceptance from their audience, performing in a way that will make them look so good. Some actors take on roles, right, that they don't necessarily believe in, but they need to make us believe in that role. They need to make us believe that that character is true. They need to make us Understand who this character is. So, hypocrite, an actor, somebody who's not themselves, somebody who's acting it up. And there's these words, love, stand, street corners. They all show that these people wanted to be seen as holy and spiritual. They loved it more than God themselves. They loved the kudos. They loved the pat on the back. They love the recognition. They love to be seen. And so he's telling us, we, don't, we need to be careful that we're not like this. That we're not like an actor, a hypocrite. Yeah, that spiritual showing off. We don't need that. I just read the Bible for 24 hours straight. Domination. I have so much faith. I was in the bath and I parted the water. He doesn't need... These spiritual show-offs. He wants us to be genuine in our prayers. He doesn't want us to be flashy. He just wants us, our hearts to come to him to be like, Jesus, I just need you. I need to talk to you. The word reward here, or award, it stands as this, as wages. Wages is what it means. So these Hypocrites, these actors have received their reward, their award, their wage, right? People pay to go in to see a show. So what it's saying is when you pray in such a way that it's about you, your reward will be from those people giving you the kudos, the pat on the back. So we must be spiritually unassuming. If we go to the next verse, it says this. But when you pray, do not, uh, what, can we go to verse 6? Is verse 6 up there? Maybe, maybe not. Here we go. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. This doesn't necessarily mean lock yourself in a closet. When we went from a public display, right, a very public display that it was talking about in verse 5, it's actually a display of the heart is what he's talking about. It's a display of the heart, very public. 
an act of performance for an audience. We pray as if there's only an audience of one. This is what he's saying. Don't say lock yourself in your room. People do have their, go into their place and they pray at their bed and things like that. That's great. But what he's saying, where's your heart at? Are you praying for the audience of many or are you praying, praying for the audience of one? Of one person. And that person is God himself. So we must be spiritually unassuming and let Jesus be the one. Jesus be the one who looks so good. It's all about pointing people to him. Now the motivation to pray. In verse 7 it says this. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do. For they think they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them. For your father knows what you need before you ask him. So you don't need to twist God's arm with phrases. You don't need to twist his arm, make him do something. We don't need to get long prayers or complicated phrases, words that I don't even understand to this day, I hear people say. Even I try to say them, I don't know what I just prayed. Can what did I just say? Does that sound good? Some of us have a picture that God is a reluctant father, though. That he's reluctant. He's resisting us. Sometimes we feel like we need to convince him. We need pr pray to more for me. We need to come to him. But Lord, I, I feel like I just need to come more and more then. Or I need to pray harder and harder and harder. And he's up there, nope, I'm not convinced. He's like, nope, I'm not convinced. That's not his heart. We don't have to come to him think with these prayers, trying to make, convince him to work on our behalf, or convince him of our heart. He's right there with us. He's not reluctant. He's a good father who cares about us. He wants to be with us. He wants to, he wants to talk to us. He wants us there. That's not his heart. Because he knows and he cares for you. He says, your father knows what you need. So this helps answer the question, why do we pray? Yes, it's biblical. Yes, it's how God has determined things to get done. It, done. it brings him glory. But more than anything, the why of our motivation is he knows you. He knows each and every one of you. And he cares for you and he loves you. He loves all of you guys. Even though that thing just broke off. He still loves you. Don't worry. God loves all of us. And so our ultimate motivator of why we pray, we, it's like, well, why pray if he already knows? Sometimes we ask that question, right? We ask that question. I have many kids, four. <laughs> four kids. I love hearing them speak to me. It's probably one of my favorite things. I love asking them questions. You don't know what's going to come out of their mouth. It's the best. And so, but you also get a glimpse of just their honesty, you get a glimpse of their heart. You get a glimpse of what they go through in a day and their perspective. So when Jude comes to me and he sits on my lap, and I maybe already know how his day went. I already know the things that had happened. Maybe Kim has given me the download, but I love to hear it from Jude. Because I don't know what Jude's going to say. <laughs> but also, I get to hear him tell me what he's been going through. 
even though I already know. And he knows, God knows what we're going through. There's something about having your son, your daughter, someone you love come up to you and tell you about what you've been going through, about their day. There's something that is amazing about that. And it connects us to him. It connects us to the Father. It connects us to his heart. And so, even though he knows every aspect, even though he knows everything about us, He wants us to come to him because we change when we come to the Father. Just like when a child intimately connects with me, like when Jew connects with me, my intimacy, my relationship and love for God increases. Our ability to connect increases. It's like Wi-Fi. We want to go from spotty Wi-Fi to good Wi-Fi. We need to get connected with him. Our trust in him increases when we talk to him more, when we get to know him more, when we hear him speak to us. Then our hearts slow down, and it says it's going to be okay. There's something about connecting with the Father. When my son comes to me and he's worked up, he's telling me we can talk it out, I can calm down, it's going to be okay, it's going to be okay. So the more we understand the love of God, the more we understand who he is, the more likely we are to pray. Because it changes us. And this is where we're going to close here. We have that PowerPoint. We've been talking about Acts. And we see in Acts that they pray a lot. And here's kind of a, a flow of how it happens. After Jesus ascended into heaven... The disciples were instructed to wait. We see that in Acts 1. While they waited, they prayed. See this in Acts 2. And in the midst of the first prayer meeting, the Spirit of God visited them in such a dramatic way that they were not only changed, but 3,000 additional souls were brought into God's kingdom. That's Acts 2.41. The early disciples devoted themselves to prayer, right in the next verse, and the church continued to expand and advance. Prayer was at the beginning of the disciples' life. After Christ had died and he was resurrected, that was at the beginning of the disciples' life. And we remember how the disciples were, right? When Christ was with them. We remember how they were in the flesh. We remember the stories. Disciples, they were fearful. But eventually they became men of faith. They were impotent but became stalwarts of power. They were dumbfounded, but became creative geniuses. They were cowards, but they became profiles in courage. They were once timid and afraid, hiding and secretive, embarrassed and ashamed. We notice this as we read scriptures. See with Peter sometimes. But in fact, their adversaries, they even saw it. And they said this. They were uneducated and untrained men. In Acts 4.13, it says that. Through their prevailing prayers, God changed them. He changed them through their prayers. He took wimps, weak, ineffective, and insipid persons 
and transformed them into warriors. God fearing, bold, courageous, powerful people. So what made the difference? What was the difference? In Acts 4.13 says, When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished, and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. Prayer changed these men. Christ's Spirit came into them, right? I talked about that. We're like, yeah, they had the Spirit. But when I talked about it, I was like, we have the Spirit inside of us, but we need to activate it, and we activate it through prayer. And as we do that, as we activate it through prayer, reading the Bible, more of His Spirit comes within us. And so when we come to prayer, we, sometimes we come like this. Like this, I want it now. Now. How many sometimes our prayers are like this? So there's a story of me coming to my parents to remember many requests. I remember coming to them, asking them for a car. I needed a car. I am 17. I am a responsible man now. Can I have a car, please? I remember coming to them, asking for gas for my car, because I was so responsible with my car that now I needed gas for it. I remember coming to them, asking for money for school. I am going to school. I need some money. Their answers weren't always what I expected. Their answer was, well, you know, get a job to earn money to buy that car. Why would they even tell me that? Don't you love me? Don't you think I deserve the awesomest car in the whole wide world? I've been doing all the chores you keep hounding me to do. <sighs> Give me a car. Why wouldn't they do it? Their answer to my request, to my conversation with them, wasn't what I wanted to hear. It wasn't what I wanted for them to say. It wasn't what I was expecting for them to say either. I came to them in conversation. I couldn't change, I couldn't change their mind. I couldn't transform their response to make it suit me. Because their response wasn't to make me upset. It really wasn't to make me upset. They weren't responding to hurt me. Their response wasn't out of an unloving heart. It was actually very much of a loving heart. They told me, get a job. What this job taught me was that I needed to work to earn money. The job taught me responsibility. Taught me that everything isn't given to me. They told me, sorry, I don't have $5 for gas. They did have $5 for gas. They just weren't going to give it to me. And back then, like 11, 12 years ago, gas was like, a dollar a gallon or something like that. So it actually filled up your tank by like, my tank at least, almost half a tank. They told me I needed to be responsible with my money. Go figure. Um, I can't buy everything I want to buy. They said to me that I need to get a loan for school. They didn't have money to give me for school, and I know they would have loved to help me out. But getting the loan taught me how to pay back what had been given to me, to be responsible with that. So as I came to my parents with requests, they came back to me with answers. They always answered me back. With these answers, I was faced with the answer of what am I going to, or a question with, what am I going to do now? What are you going to do, Jeremy? And as I carried out the action to these questions of what am I going to do, something changed within me. I changed even though it wasn't the answer I necessarily was expecting. 
Their stance didn't change, but mine did. The disciples came to Christ in prayer. Christ didn't change, but they did. So we pursue being listening people because of this. Prayer doesn't transform God's mind. It transforms our mind to his. The disciples spent time and prayed to God and said, yes, the spirit was inside of them, but when they prayed, it changed them. Prayer activated them to be people that God wanted them to be. Prayer transforms us. It makes us better disciples. It makes us better followers of Christ. It transforms our heart. There's this quote, and I'll invite the worship team to come up here. And it says this. Everyone thinks of changing humanity, but no one thinks of changing themselves. Real prayer changes us. To pray is to change. Another quote. Prayer is a central avenue God uses to transform us. If we are unwilling to change, we will bend in prayer as a noticeable characteristic of our lives. The closer we come to the heartbeat of God, the more we see our need and the more we desire to be conformed to Christ. We can pray wherever, as that video shared. Anywhere, anytime, any place. He's always listening. He is like the phone that we have, but it's so much more better. Always we can just say, hey, God. We don't need to say, hey, Suri. Suri, she'll die. But hey, God is always there, and it will transform our lives.